Our reading tonight is taken from the book of Luke and is taken from chapter 3 and is verses 1 through to verse 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judah, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, every, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Evening everyone, and let's pray as we begin. Father, please would you uh, speak to us tonight through the Bible and please would you help us to take seriously what you are saying for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're beginning a new series on Luke's Gospel tonight and uh, as it says at the uh, the, the heading section of our uh, church Bibles, uh, John the Baptist prepares the way. And it seems to me that um, John the Baptist is rather like a match, in that he, uh, he flared up and then it calmed down to some uh, uh, a steady um, uh, burning along the match uh, and then uh, he lit a far greater fire and then he was snuffed out. And uh, we're going to be seeing a little bit about John the Baptist, but, but really the, the passage is not so much about John, but about the one he was pointing to, about the fire that he lit, the fire of, uh, of Jesus, our Saviour 
and our judge. So we'll see more about that as we go through. But we do see at the end of the passage here, when you look at verses 19 and 20, it says, when John rebuked Herod, the tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. Uh, he locked John up in prison. John was uh, was was uh, outspoken against Herod and this this marriage where he divorced his wife. Uh, he got his uh, um, his brother Philip to divorce his wife, uh, and then he married her. Uh, and so, uh, in one fell swoop, really, he uh, uh, she became Herod's wife and his sister-in-law and his niece all at the same time. And uh, uh, so we see this evening um, that we have John the Baptist. And a ministry that flared up, that lit a great fire of, uh, of gospel work across the world and in the person of our Lord Jesus. And then, uh, tragically, as we see in our passage, first of all, he was imprisoned and then uh, he was put to death, uh, as we'll see later on uh, in the gospel. But uh, Her- um, uh, John the Baptist is really looking forward, is really looking forward to Jesus uh, and, he's, and he's pointing us forward to Jesus, the Saviour uh, and the Judge. And uh, in verse 6, we see, uh, as uh, Luke here is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, and all the people will see God's salvation. All the people will see God's salvation. But salvation and judgment do go together. And so we see here there is uh, the judgment of God, and it comes up a number of times here. Uh, if there's no judgment, there's nothing to be saved from. And so uh, we see, for instance, in verse 7, uh, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And then in verse 9, the axe has been laid to the root of the trees, an axe of judgment. And then in verse 17, he's talking about a winnowing fork in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. That's the main thing. He's wanting to gather the wheat into the barn. But the, the, uh, the chaff, which is not the wheat, at the end of that verse, it says he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Another picture of judgment. And so, although this is about John the Baptist, he's pointing forward to Jesus, and he's pointing out that Jesus is not only saviour, which he is, but he is also judge. And John is saying, you need to flee from that judgment. And the way to flee from that judgment is to repent and to be baptised. And as you do that, and as you're baptised, you will see, you will understand, that your sins are forgiven so repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so we're seeing here some some very clear warnings from john the baptist here we're seeing some very clear warnings about the judgment the judgment of an eternal separation from god the judgment that is that is hell and that we uh, must warn people about if you're not a christian i want if i want to warn you about this separation from God. It's not, a, it's not a nice thing to talk about, but actually this is what he's, he is talking about here. Uh, and we need to be able to understand, and I want to warn you about that so that you may not go there. So we're, this is a very serious business. Uh, there is, there is uh, uh, Jesus, that, who is the judge, but also, and the great news of Christianity is that Jesus is the saviour. And, uh, and that is what we're, we're talking about in this passage. It's really looking forward to Jesus and John's ministry pointing forward to Jesus. But as he begins, 
he really anchors this in history. Now, if you go up on the Downs, if you went up to, say, Furl Beacon or to Wollstonebury Hill, hills just near uh, on, the, on the South Downs here near Brighton, uh, on, the, on the top of those, there are these ordnance survey trick points, try, try whatever they're called, trick points. And, uh, uh, and they were there, so they would help the ordnance survey in years past to be able to survey the area, the land. And they're, they're just fixing these things firmly so you know where you are. And that's what verses 1 and 2 with all these people, that's what it's really doing. It's just anchoring it uh, into world history. And we've got here verses, uh, uh, um, uh, it's saying that, that John the Baptist was, uh, was alive and was working. He was ministering in, in AD 27 to 29. That's what verses 1 and 2 are saying here. And then John is, uh, Isaiah calls, uh, calls him a voice in verse 4. And the voice is saying, get ready. So when you get these roads here, when he says, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every mountain will be laid low. The crooked roads will become straight. The rough ways smooth. If the king was coming in those days, you would sort out the roads. You would make sure that the, uh, uh, the potholes are filled in and maybe you'd straighten them up to make it easier for the king. And it, what it's saying here is the king's coming. Get ready for him. Prepare for him. Prepare your life. Now, how are we going to get ready for the king? Well, first of all, who is the king? is King Jesus. John is pointing the forwards. He is, uh, he is the match that's lit. He flares up and then he lights a greater fire. The king is Jesus. And how do we get ready for Jesus? Well, it is just simply this. Jesus is saviour and judge. And how do we get ready? We repent. We repent. I first came across the word repent about 50 years ago uh, in the youth group through which Anna and I first became Christians. And uh, it seemed terribly old-fashioned now. It probably seems absolutely prehistoric now. Uh, it was old-fashioned then, prehistoric now. But the, uh, the, the word may seem a little bit uh, kind of prehistoric, but actually what it's saying is so important. It's incredibly important. It's literally changing your mind. It's saying, look, I, I, I was going that way. I think I got it wrong. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go that way. It's a change of direction. That's what it is. It's, a, uh, it, it's saying, I want, to, I want to turn around. I want to begin again. Uh, way back in the, uh, uh, in the 1990s, probably one of those popular business books was one that was called What They Don't Teach You at Harvard's B Harvard Business School. What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School. And there were three things. Three things that the guy said that, that uh, they don't teach you. One is to say, I'm, I'm wrong. The second one is to say, I'm sorry. And the third one is to say, please help me. And he said, unless you say I'm wrong, then you'll never move on in business. Unless you say I'm sorry, then you become unbearably arrogant. And uh, people, arrogant people, find it so hard to say sorry, don't they? And then the third one, uh, unless you say, please help me, your self-sufficiency will be your downfall. And what we see there is, really, it's repentance for businessmen. But repentance isn't just for businessmen, it's for everyone. We look at verse 3 here, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There are no qualifications here. It's just saying, look, everyone's involved. Everyone needs to repent. If you're not a Christian, you need to repent. If you're not a Christian, you need to be saying, well, I've, I've got to, uh, I need to sort this out. And also, if you are a Christian, you've got to repent. Repent every day. That's what the Christian life is. It's about repenting and believing. It's, it's asking God to be working in your life. So repentance for everyone. 
If you're not a believer, if you are a believer, need to repent. That's what it's about. Um, uh, if you're not a Christian, you've got to change your mind about Christianity, about faith, about church, about the Bible, about praying, about Christians, about life. It's changing your mind. That's what it's about. But if you are a Christian, you've got to change your mind. You've got to recognise that, yeah, we muck up every day. We do all sorts of things that Jesus uh, doesn't want us to be doing, or we don't do all sorts of things that we should be doing. It's a, it's a daily event for a healthy Christian. So at the end of the day, it comes to bedtime, maybe this evening when you go to bed, you just say, have I repented today? And maybe at that point, maybe it ought to be a regular thing, the start of the day, but also at the end of the day, for the things we've done, the things we haven't done, the ways we've fallen short, the things we'd love to have done better, and so on. And we need to repent. Bill Clinton is a uh, uh, former US president, as I'm sure you know, and famous for uh, getting mixed up with Monica Lewinsky, doing things that he shouldn't do. And uh, when he was um, eventually came to, uh, to admit it, he said this, if my repentance is genuine and sustained, and if I can then maintain both a broken spirit and a strong heart, then good can come of this for our country as well as for me and my family. And maybe Bill Clinton was beginning to understand a, a little bit about repentance. But of course, it's not just, it's not just actions. We all want to repent of unbelief. We want to repent of negative attitudes. We want to repent of self-centeredness and moral omissions and degrading thoughts and so on. Jesus is saviour and judge. And therefore, I want to repent. Therefore, I need to repent. But what does this look like? What does it look like in my life? Well, well, three things. First of all, repentance means real change. Real change. Uh, we don't always like change, though, do we? And we get used to things. So, for instance, you go on the train up to London, the rails are four foot eight and a half inches wide. Uh, between, they're separate. They're, they're the gap, the gauge between them is four foot eight and a half inches. Why on earth four foot eight and a half inches? Well, in the first instance, four foot eight and a half inches because the first uh, railway lines were built um, along tramways and they were four foot eight and a half wide. But why were the tramways four foot eight and a half? Why was the gauge of the tramways four foot eight and a half? Well, because they used the same machinery and tools as they used for wagons. And why were the wagons four foot eight and a half? Because they were used and they would go down ruts in the road, which tended to be four foot eight and a half inches wide. And why were the ruts in the road four foot eight and a half inches wide? Because the long distance road were Roman roads and Roman chariots tended to have their wheels set four foot eight and a half inches wide. Some things don't change, do they? And uh, uh, so just think if you're going up to London on Southern or you're going on Eurostar to Paris, uh, just have a think. I could be riding in a Roman chariot. But some things don't change. But we, ought, we, need to, we, need to, we need to embrace change as Christians. Changes, Christianity is about change, isn't it? I mean, we are the biggest change. When you go from death to life, when you're born again, that is the biggest change of life. The biggest change in your life. And the gospel is about changing you and me and, and making us more like Jesus, bit by bit by bit, by day by day by day. Scientists uh, uh, claim to have come up with a new term to describe organisms that are not constantly changing. The term is dead and for Christians if we're not constantly changing 
it's got to raise a question mark against us and, and the, uh, the, the, the truth of this claim that we are actually born again. Because Jesus wants to be changing us. That's the whole idea as we become more like Jesus, more like him every day. It is change, 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 bit by bit by bit. Sometimes it's three steps up and then five backwards. Yeah, we know that. Sometimes we trip up and we really muck up and so on. Yeah, we know that. But the idea is that with his help, with the spirit working in our lives, it's, it's muck things up, repent, move forward. Muck things up, repent, move forward uh, and so on. And it's not just taking up a, a good cause, like well, I'm all for Black Lives Matter or I'm helping out with the food bank or, or whatever it would be. Yeah, those things are great and good for Christians to be involved with. But it is a deep internal change of heart and life. Repentance means real change deep down. Second thing is it means real fruit, real fruit. One of the most difficult days in the history of the FBI in the, in the States was when they were involved in a, a shootout with a guy called William Mattox. And uh, uh, tragically, he, he killed two FBI agents and, and injured several more in this shootout. And it turned out that when, uh, uh, that when they found out who the, uh, the gunman was, that William Mattox was a self-professed born-again Christian, a member of his local church. He was there Sunday by Sunday. He would give his testimony up front on regular, many occasions. Um, and in fact, he was, a, he was a family man. And so just a month before the shootout, he was interviewed by Christian Home Life magazine, one of these Christian magazines that they have in the States, uh, as an example that other people should follow of a good, faithful Christian Man, Christian family man, husband and father. Extraordinary. And uh, uh, all the while, while he was being interviewed, during the week when he was giving his testimonies in church on Sundays and so on, uh, he was get, being involved, because this shootout wasn't a one-off thing, he was involved in, in regular armed robberies, banks and armoured cars and so on. Just extraordinary. Uh, we need to bear real fruit. Repentance means real change. Real change means we're going to be different from the way we were. Uh, in verse 8 there, uh, produce fruit, or literally it's fruits, in keeping with repentance. There's a whole range of things that God wants to change in our lives. And, and here we see there are three examples. John probably saw these people in front of him as he was preaching. Uh, they were just general folks in verse 11, the private citizens. There were tax collectors, he refers to in verses 12 and 13. There was uh, a soldier, he refers to in verse 14. He probably just there in front of him. And he talks about them. And he talks about money, mainly. And money is, is often a, a, a thermometer of our, of our spiritual health. And uh, so how are you doing on the, on the money side? Are you, you generous? Is the way you spend your money? Do you think that's a, a Christian thing? Good use of money? The things that you do? Um, here we can be quite extravagant at times, can't we? Over, uh, you know, living in Brighton and Hove, we could be quite extravagant over things. Is that good? Is that a good thing for us as well? Um, but we see these three examples, but for us it might not be anything like that. It might not be anything that we're kind of spiritually struggling with in terms of uh, uh, money and the use of money and so on. But what is it, what is it for you? What do you need to repent of? Might it be something, say, perhaps uh, to do with your tongue? Or maybe you're coveting what other people have. Or, or perhaps for you, it's, uh, maybe it's jealousy of some shape or form. Or uh, maybe it's fear of the future. Or maybe it's because life has become all about you. Or maybe you realise that you need to be 
serving more. You'd love to be serving more, perhaps in the church or in the community, and you'd love to do that. Now, it seems that lockdown might be uh, getting a little bit easier. It might get more difficult again, but at the moment, uh, it seems to be going generally in the right direction. But repentance means real change. Repentance, secondly, means real fruit. And third, just briefly, repentance means real life. And that's verses 16 to 18 here. The rabbis in Jesus' day used to say that disciples should do everything for their master apart from, well, they'd do everything for their master uh, apart from, uh, that a slave would do, apart from untie his sandals. The slave would do the untying of the sandals, but the disciple wouldn't have to. And then John said in verse 16 here, it just says at the end of verse 16, um, uh, the one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. In other words, John is saying, I'm not worthy to be Jesus' slave. I'm really not worthy to be Jesus' slave. I mean, I baptise you with water, but Jesus will baptise you, he says here, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Those are two pictures meaning the same thing, really. He's saying that when you become a Christian, when you start this new life with Jesus, when you repent for the first time, then Jesus comes to live within you by his Spirit. And the Spirit working in you brings about those changes as, as you will work with the Spirit in your life. And as he changes you, it's like a purifying fire, getting the dross out of your life. That's what he wants to do. He acts like a fire to refine you as you repent and as you ask for the Lord's help to become more like Jesus. That's real life. That's real life. That's being changed from the way we were before to the way we will be in the future when we're with him in perfection in the new heaven and the new earth. Look forward to that with all your heart. So that's the good news. So you look at the end of verse 18. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The good news that actually when we repent and when we're baptised, when we're forgiven our sins, that Jesus comes to live within us by his spirit and through his spirit and his spirit working in our lives, he purifies us to become more like Christ. That's the real change. That's the real fruit. That is the real life. So Jesus saviour and judge and how do we respond everyone repent everyone repent at the beginning of our christian lives everyone repent every day of our christian lives lord please make me more like jesus turn around start again turn around every day and become more like Jesus as he works in our lives. Real change, real fruit, real life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for John the Baptist, that match flaring up, lighting the fire, and uh, pointing people to you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be the one who changes us and works in our lives and makes us more like you, we pray for your name's sake. Amen.